0: All right, everyone. Welcome to the first uh, roundup edition of On the Bell Curve. Uh, this is a mixing of my two worlds here. I've got co-hosts uh, Mark Yusko and Michael Anderson. Uh, guys, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, Great thanks for here. having me.
0: Good so, day to um, be here. Yeah, what do you guys want to talk about? Should we... Uh, something on, <laughs> <week. laughs> we got to talk about... we got to talk about this.
1: We got to talk about this. Although I went back, I went back to the, I went to back to the uh, Genesis block. You know, yesterday was Block One Day. Today mm. is Running Bitcoin Day. And has something else happened today? I, I'm, I've been kind of out of the the thing with my wife for her birthday. And what happened today?
0: <laughs> yeah, we did it, baby. We did it. Mission accomplished. It's like George mission w. Bush. Accomplished. And mission accomplished.
2: Big
0: banner. <laughs> um. No, we, we got the ETF approved today, uh, a whole bunch of them. It, it, Mark, you alluded to this, but there's a sort of a poetic resonance here. Uh, this is actually 15 years to the day that Hal Finney tweeted out running Bitcoin back in 2009 on Jan 10. So definitely, if you've been in this space for a little while, if you've been tracking this, you probably feel a little goosebumps. It just feels cool. feels right. Um, and at 4.30 today, after like 10 false starts, um, we actually finally got it. Even at the last minute there, they... Posted something on the SEC site. They took it back Believe down. <laughs> yeah. 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 Crazy. Crazy. Like, fellas. Let's uh I, I let's counted get together. I counted at least
2: four uh, four false starts on that.
0: Yeah. I agree. Over the last couple of days. Pretty bad. So it bears reading here. We're gonna get into the details about this and try to uh, speculate a little bit on what the short and long-term implications are. But before we do, I thought it would be funny. Um, so I don't, did you guys actually have a chance to read the statement from Chair Gensler? Bits and pieces. All right. Let me, uh, let me read the, uh, you know, so he starts off, you know, pretty boilerplate saying the commission approved the listing of a traded number of spot Bitcoin uh, exchange traded products, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, I'm going to paraphrase here. He said he was strong armed into it by the courts. Um, here are a bunch of risks. And this is In the, the announcement.
1: Concluded. He said the word strong
0: armed. Yeah. Really? I'm, I'm, paraphrasing no, no. Little, no. I'm paraphrasing a little. I'm paraphrasing a little. Okay, okay. Here, I'm gonna I'm gonna end with a quote here. Though we're merit neutral, I'd note that the underlying assets in the metals ETPs have consumer and industrial uses. While in contrast, Bitcoin is a primarily speculative, volatile asset that's also used for illicit activity, including ransomware, money laundering, sanction evasion, and terrorist financing. While we approved the listing and trading of certain spot Bitcoin ETP shares today, we did not approve or endorse. Bitcoin. Investors should remain cautious about the myriad risks associated with Bitcoin and products whose value is tied to crypto. <laughs> Sounds pretty freaking neutral. <laughs> wow. You know, already... I mean,
2: I, I
1: you know, I, I wanted to post today, but I, I like I said I was I was out of the office and, and in the car, but I really wanted to post to all the naysayers and doubters and and it's going to zero and and it's only used for terrorism and, and you know, Jamie and Nuriel and and Peter and, and all these guys. Like, at what point do you just say, hmm, guess I was wrong? This is real technology. This is here to stay. I, there has to be there has to be a point at which I mean, being wrong is not a sin. Right? We're all wrong all the time. Staying wrong is a sin. When you can't admit that you're wrong, it's bad. It's very bad.
2: We even had Jim Cramer come out and uh, mea culpa earlier this week. So, you know, it it, it can happen to anybody.
0: (laughs) That's right. Bolt from the blue, lightning strike. No, it's a really cool, I mean, I want to get in and talk about some of the implications of this, but I think just taking a step back, I mean, Bitcoin's not that old. Bitcoin is about 15 years old. It's a bootstrap non non sovereign form of money, and without any formal coordination around like a company or anything like that. I mean, just fifteen years later, could you get? I mean, look at how far we've come as a currency. I mean, it it's is truly uh, got- just let that sink in for a second. You know, we're we're about to hit. Yeah.
1: I'm not sure we're quite there yet, but we're we're bored. We're getting close. Nine hundred ten. So we're about nine percent away from. A trillion dollar market cap from literally zero, right mm. when Hal Finn sent out running Bitcoin tweet, the price was zero point zero 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 one three whatever it was. it was zero so from from zero from nothing, we now have nearly a trillion dollar asset to your point michael with with no central authority, no permission no CEO, no marketing department, no property plant and equipment. You know, in the olden days, if you wanted to be a big company, right? Companies that, you know, we would back as venture capitalists, you had to control stuff, cars and trucks and machines. And no, now it's all about networks and relationships and technology. And so I just think it's, it's an extraordinary thing, and you know, I think the the real problem is until you have that light bulb moment where you really understand what triple entry accounting means, it's hard right it's It's hard until you it clicks, but once it clicks, you can't unsee it, you can't go back to the old world you can't you can't imagine a world where for the rest of your life, you'd have to ask permission to use your assets. You'd have to pay money every time you try to get your assets back from storage. know, I was thinking about this the other day. I was in a you know mini mart or whatever, in the ATM, and you know for most of us the ATM fee is just a nuisance, right? But what about someone who's taken out twenty bucks, three and a half bucks on twenty bucks? That's a usurious fee. Mm. That is a usurious fee. And so I don't know. It's a, it's a really interesting dynamic that now we, we have this, this way that the three of us can exchange something of value without asking permission, without asking uncle Gary to say, yep, you can do that. Or uncle Jamie, I guess uncle Jamie more than uncle Gary. Gary's not a banker. Um, Thankfully
0: he's not a banker. God would that be awful. <laughs> what not? Uh, I was just what, gonna say one interesting piece of uh trivia that I learned about Gary Goldman. Uh Goldman, uh Jesus. Gary Gensler. Um sorry. Uh, that was a real slip up. He used to be Mike Novogratz's boss uh in the HK branch of Goldman Sachs. Did you guys know that? I just found that out last night. Did That's not know on. that. Did not know it, 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 I think that's the funniest with, thing on earth.
1: The I history
0: of, cool. of GG is
1: interesting and scary at the same time. If you go back and you look at at where he's been and how he's climbed the ladder, <laughs> there's some scary elements to it that you know we could dig into, but we have to wait till Sinister Saturday for that.
0: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll give the people what they want. Sorry, Michael. I interrupted you. What were we going to
2: say? Oh no, no, no. Um, I was going to say I was looking at a chart recently that had the top fifteen most valuable assets in the entire world. Mm-hmm. Number one is gold, to be expected. Um, number fifteen, and this was prior to you know the last couple of days, was Bitcoin. There was silver in there, but everything else was a multi-trillion-dollar company. And and Mark, to your point, you know those are companies that control distribution. They control assets. Mm-hmm. They control. I mean, have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people working for them. Um, I, I do think it's pretty amazing to just take a step back and think, what are the most valuable assets in the entire world? And, and you know, we're
0: broaching top 10 at this point. Yeah. yeah. So let, let me ask you guys, where do you think we go? Where do you think we go from here? And and, and let me, I'll break it into like a short term and, and long term term. Um, you know, maybe timeframe. So one thing that I thought was kind of interesting and we got, when we got our false start last night from that prankster or potentially criminal or intern or whatever it was at that, that uh, we got the tweet. It it was interesting to note the, um, the, what happened to the Bitcoin price It obviously spiked really rapidly, but then it um, sort of fell lower and, and stayed low. It was, it was kind of interesting to note actually that ETH, uh, ETH actually outperformed there. And ETHPTC mm-hmm. saw notable bounce off of what was probably the bottom. And ETH has continued to perform decently, strongly. So not to yeah. make it all about price here, because uh, I want to get your guys' take on flows and everything like that. But you know, what does this initially mean if you're an investor kind of sitting on the sidelines here? Is this the firing gun? Has this been priced in? And the inflows and the yeah. run-up in price is largely what we've seen. Does Do we move on to the next narrative, ETH? I'm kind of uh, combining a whole bunch of questions into one, but like, <laughs> you know, what are the proximate, like, what, what do we do now? Yeah, you know? No, yes,
1: yes, no. <laughs>
2: um, it's like Nick Saban. He says he takes six hours off when he wins a national championship and back to work the next day. Um, what's the next asset? Um, I, I think, you know, Bitwise actually came out with some pretty interesting survey data that they did with some of their financial advisors a week or two ago and of their uh providers 39% said that they expected that there would be a bitcoin etf approved in 2024 obviously we can check the box you know <laughs> 61% were wrong um <clears throat> the other number was i think it was 18% um said that they had uh intention to but had the ability to buy bitcoin for their clients You know, which means the reciprocal of that is the ability to buy it and actually hold on to it on behalf of their clients, which is what these financial advisors are doing. I I think what we're going to see is, you know, number one, the whipsaw that we saw rock it up, rock it down. Just this general skepticism that even at the 11th hour, you know, 11.59 p.m., um, we could have potentially still been robbed. There was still that opportunity. People were skeptical. Nobody really knew which end was up with all the fake news and fake tweets and everything that was going on, false starts. But now it's official and we can kind of check the box. I think the real work now begins. And that's that's the education process of getting the advisors on board, under people under I mean, there's rumors that BlackRock has two billion in seed capital waiting in the wing to start trading tomorrow. We'll see what some of these inflows are over the next week, month, you know, first half of the year. But I, I don't think that this is like a great. We moved on one week later and I think this is going to be a, a longer term process and it's just the beginning.
1: Yeah, it's, it's just the starting gun. I mean, there's, there's so many things about this with, with one caveat that I'm going to come back to that I, I kind of just learned about this morning. And I should have learned about it a month ago, but I, I wasn't paying attention. But to the point on advisors, right? Advisors, Merrill Lynch, UBS, etc., cetera, Schwab, Independence. Uh, control about $30 trillion. Yeah. Okay. It's a big number. Mm. And the average advisor today has sub 3% exposure to cryptocurrencies. And the vast majority of that is in companies like MicroStrategy, et cetera, that that own it. Uh, They don't have any, obviously ETF because the ETF doesn't trade till tomorrow. 91% 91% of advisors say their most important asset for managing client assets are ETFs, not mutual funds. That's, you know, 20 years ago, um, not single stocks and bonds. That's 30 years ago. It is ETFs. And so when you combine an underweight, a massive underweight to digital assets, whereas, you know the vast majority of that $30 trillion has zero exposure, right? My whole thing, get off zero. So the vast majority have zero. And the other thing in the survey was that 25% of advisors have been asked in the last month about crypto. So at least one in four just this month has been asked, hey, why aren't you buying me crypto? I hear are these things coming out. So, So all of that conspires to let's just do simple math. Let's say it's 10 basis points. Okay, It's a reasonable expectation. Just dip your toe in 10 basis points. That's $30 billion on an asset that trades $8 billion a day. Now, to Michael's point, if if BlackRock does have the $2 billion, which I have no doubt they, they do, and they try to put it all in tomorrow, price can jump a lot. We, we can't take... I actually think three and a half billion is going to trade tomorrow. That that's been my number for a while. At day one, three and a half billion will come in. That's that's a problem. So I mean, a good problem, but the the rea- the reality is, it's not going to be ten basis points. Let's say it's a hundred basis points, one percent, which is not not a crazy number. Now you're talking three hundred billion. Not tomorrow. But over some period of time, again, to Michael's point, it'll take some time to educate and have some fancy ads and all that good stuff. But I think the really kind of amazing point of all of this is once UBS and Merrill put it in the model portfolio, it's over. You don't have a choice as an advisor to not have it. Right. As a fiduciary, as a member of the team, you you have to do that. Now, there's no, you know, in the old days it used to be you had to buy the one that they got paid the most by. So there a little kickback going on. But and that may still happen. But now you got 11 choices. And there's going to be money that's going to go into these things and it's going to be big. Now, the caveat that I'm I'm nervous about, that I just I spent a lot of time think doing some research on today. I don't know why I missed this, but they're releasing another freaking futures contract tomorrow. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: That is bad news. That is very bad news. And it's a big liquidity pool. Uh, So it's CME. And the guy who runs the CME is not our friend. So let's just put it lightly. And I do worry that spoofing, right which is what they've been doing to gold forever is is going to start and and so that that's the one little caveat that i think it's number go up for a while but the ability for spoofing now gets exponentially greater because the liquidity pool for futures and what i mean by spoofing is you can you can basically go naked short in the futures market Right? That's why, you know, when they issued the first futures contract in 17, what happened? Boom. Market went down. First futures ETF went down. Here's a crazy stat. BITO raised a billion dollars on day one. 950 million, call it a billion. Today has 2 billion, despite the fact that they're down 31 percent since inception. And they were down 75, but they came back a little. But that's a that's a so think about that's a crappy structure, right? It's got negative roll yield. All the it's, it's a crappy structure, bad performance, and yet it still attracted more than two billion dollars because the billion turned into three hundred million, and then they raised another probably billion, and that then doubled. I guess they raised about seven hundred million, and that doubled to two billion. So, I don't know. I. I'm a little nervous about that.
0: Hmm. L- let me ask you guys this. Uh, I'm cheating a little bit because I recorded an episode with uh, James Seyfert, um earlier today, but <laughs> but it's been a big content day for for your boy. But what do you think? Uh, in similarly to you know when when you're trying to get an understanding of uh, how the market is going to react to something, there's the sort of absolute like in, a, in an earnings release, like a, of a stock, there's like the absolute performance, but then there is the market expectation. And generally, there's some sort of yeah. consensus out there about the opinion. And it's actually sometimes less about the absolute performance, as opposed to the relative performance to expectation. And I'm trying to get a sense of, you know, obviously, I think we're, we'd all probably be in the boat that in the long run, it doesn't really matter what, you know, these trade on a first day sort of basis, but it might have shorter term implications. And you you guys have a sense of what the the kind of yardstick is, or a sense for market expectation for I don't know flows on day one or week one or whatever, and you know the implications of exceeding or not exceeding whatever those expectations are. Uh, <clears throat> so I don't have any
2: yardsticks per se, um, and you know it sounds like Mark, you know, with a three and a half billion, I'd like that call. Um, you know, I, I, I may ride on those coattails of that number, um, but the the way that I think about it is sort of like where is the market in terms of general excitement in the short, medium, long term? Right. And I think one of the things that happened with, um, frankly, the Matrix port analyst that put out that report, um, you know, whenever that was a week ago, a couple of days ago, um, it, it, it re rated everything. You know, open interest dropped, the RSI dropped. It, it, you know, some of the trading metrics that we would track just to kind of sense, you know, overheat, underheat. Uh, or you know, hot, cold in in any given market, um, flipped very, very quickly from potentially overheated into something that was cooler. Um, and so I think we went into this process with a little bit more of you know, as market a little bit leveler head than we would have if we were overheating at that point. And I know everyone was kind of talking about oh, buy the rumor, sell the news, kind of thing. Dan Moorhead said, buy the rumor, buy the news. news. Uh, um, So, uh, you know, we'll we'll ultimately see who who ends up being correct on that. But I I do think that, you know, one of the good things that happened was just the re-rating over the last week because it just flushed out a a ton of stuff. And there were a ton of liquidations and then the fall starts and, you know, now we're here and it's kind of like we can take a, a, a sigh and just say, "Okay, we made it. Finish line accomplished. Let's see what happens tomorrow.
1: Yeah, I mean, really, really important insights. And look, we had two flushes. I mean, two serious liquidity flushes in the past week. You know, one on the matrix port, and then the second on the. Oops, you know, put in the wrong day for the the tweet, um, or or whatever it was. Um, I don't really care, but actually, I do care because I actually think it was intentional. I actually think it was a trial run for what's going to happen you, tomorrow. Which that's the sinister part that scares me. I actually think it was a
0: trial run for the short side. Um, how many think, um, Mark? Who do you think looks bad in this situation? I this has been an internal Blockworks discussion when this happened. Who do you think looks bad? The SEC, crypto, is an industry, or just nobody looks particularly good. <laughs> it's just a little bit silly on all counts.
1: Well, absolutely, the SEC looks idiotic, right? I mean, you can't even protect your own social media account. And, and the thing that's so funny is when they tried to make it about crypto and say, look, the crypto market is manipulated. Like, really? If you did that same thing with Microsoft or NVIDIA or any other public company, the same damn thing would have happened. Don't, don't say that was a crypto thing. That was a Wall Street thing. This was like when FTX went down and they're like, "It's a crypto problem. I'm like, no, that's a bad person doing bad things problem. That had nothing to do with crypto. I mean, that's what, you know, the guys in the SNL crisis did. That's what the guys in the junk bond crisis did. Bad people do bad things. So I, I think crypto, they try to make us look bad all the time. All the time, right? Because we look- help them out. No, we do. We help, help them out on here. occasion. We, we, we help them out. We have a lot of um, colorful characters, and,
2: and or at least we did. But we, you yeah, know that's, that's a very good
1: class now. It, it they are less, right? I mean, the early days. I mean, think about the early days of the Puerto Rico conferences and the crazy stuff that was going on and, and you read the Bitcoin billionaires and the bake room and all that stuff so you're right there are there are fewer colorful characters it's more serious now we have real real people in the bit but ultimately the reason the media okay which is controlled by the same people that control finance are going to paint this industry negatively at every chance is, Blockchain technology and crypto, Bitcoin, et cetera, does to financial services what the internet did to media and commerce. Full stop. And there's no way to stop it, right? I mean, we've talked about this ad nauseum on Saturdays is banks had an 838-year run. It's over. Now, it won't end tomorrow, but the 838-year monopoly on trust, it's over. I mean, it's over. And so as we do the X, right, as we go from one monopoly to another monopoly, which is sound real money, which can be cool in the future, that path is going to be rocky. And it's going to be dotted and littered with these attacks. But clearly, the the SEC, I mean, they literally look like a clown show. I mean, there's no other word for it.
0: Let me ask you guys this. So. One, uh, I I agree with that on, on a long time frame. I mean, crypto, uh, you know, blockchains in general are highly disruptive. And, you know, to your point, traditional media has never really given social media a fair shake. And there, there's some legitimate reasons for that, but a lot of it is because it's a threat to their income and business. The one thing I'd be, I'd be curious about is... You know, people have been talking about the institutions coming for as long as I've been in crypto. The herd is coming, you know, they're, they're six months around the corner. Uh, I remember I listened to some of these guys that are very famous in crypto say six months when I first got in six years ago. Pensions are here in six months. Um, but the, the, herd yeah. <laughs> the herd is here.
2: You, <laughs> yeah, this is This is what
1: yeah. I have. You know, I have this under my computer, you know, my, my real high tech stack of National Geographic's. And it's just you know, funny, it's
0: the herd, right? The migration. As an, as an aside, for an early marketing campaign for Dat, what was going to be DAS 2020, we were, we actually had this whole campaign baked out. The herd is coming, and there were going to be these like thundering buffalo with like. But anyway, I thought that would have been maybe we should use that for for this task. But the uh, I think oh, one thing we that might those be hats
1: like from the Flintstones with the water buffalo horns. You know hey.
0: that you guys are too G- Michael. You know, Michael's my movie. merch guy. He he he's he, he's got the hookup on all the all the good merch. Uh <laughs> love to talk about him with picking something up. Um right. I'm gonna, while you guys are talking, I'm gonna Google the
1: uh you guys have no idea what I'm talking about. The Flintstones was this you know cartoon show, but
0: um I remember like Flintstones. Well yeah, all right. no, I know. Um all right, so <laughs> let me let me get your guys' take on this. So in in 2020, um it it was it was a seminal moment when you know, post Money Printer Go Bird meme, Paul Tudor Jones you gotta came those out.
1: We got to get those hats right there.
0: That'd be yep. good. Yeah, yeah. Those would.
1: Although, you know, it's we're, funny. We're, we're going to write Doesn't these ideas I down, down maybe. for the first
0: time. Doesn't that hat kind of look like
1: the Masonic symbol? Ken? That, oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah that's yeah. kind of There's interesting. I never noticed. Yeah, yeah. I never noticed, knew that Fred was was part of the the Knights Templar. That's kind of interesting.
0: I didn't either. Yeah, good good for you. He was a multifaceted man, that Fred. So on the so basically, Paul Tudor Jones, when he came out and said, "Hey, this is Bitcoin is the fastest horse," that was a stamp of institutional credibility. But one of the things, so we open this podcast by saying Bitcoin has no marketing department. But I but I am starting to wonder if that will change slightly because as we've already seen from companies like Bitwise uh, that have had these great ads around the Bitcoin ETF. And I feel like we're going to start to see, a, first call it a scramble, but eventually a pretty vicious brawl for assets and liquidity. Uh, oh my gosh. Well, two things. A really competitive yes, that's going to happen.
1: But how many millions, literally tens of millions of dollars of free advertising was this SEC debacle worth? Wow. I mean seriously, yeah. that was a very big ad campaign. Positive, although some would say, "Well, that's negative." No, no, no. It, it turned out positive because he had to give in. Like I say, whether strong-armed or not, that's 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 a very big ad campaign that just happened for free.
2: I, I, I would even say it starts way further than that, way back from that, which is the grayscale decision and all of the, the Twitter yeah. musings, James yeah. Seifert, Eric Alcunis. You know, it has been covered on Bloomberg for the last four months. You know, when else has there been a story on Bloomberg about the potential approval of an ETF and have it be something that gets covered every single week? Only maybe
1: with marijuana, maybe cannabis, maybe, (laughs) maybe, but only for a week, like but not not for months, definitely not for months.
0: It's a really good point. There's been a lot of earned airtime around this, and Larry Fink did a couple of rounds of CNBC, notably after the you know some of the uh, geopolitical strife going on in the middle east he called crypto a flight to safety asset so you know and the the incentives here of blackrock are we've talked about this on a couple of past pods uh, past pods you know bloom has gone off the esg rows so to speak that was they had a lot of um, you know that was a little bit of a loser for them they've started to backtrack that pretty steadily and now they're backing another horse which is the bitcoin horse and it's their incentive to go out and say hey actually, you know, Bitcoin is not just used for for money laundering. And actually the data hasn't supported that, has never supported that. Never, and not uh, ever. I, I feel like there will be maybe an interesting diffusion of opinion among institutionals where there are some that there are some that have always kind of got it. Um, and they've frankly been in the industry for a while, but now you're going to see the incentives tide start to turn. And now that there's a way for them to frankly profit off of it, um, maybe the tune might change a little bit. And this could be the first real institutional cycle. I mean, there I say Well, that's a
1: great point, Michael. And since it, you know, I saw a lot of, you know, depressed tweets today from the maxis who were like, this is the saddest day in Bitcoin's history. And, you know, we're giving up everything we worked for. And I'm like, okay, stop for a second. Yeah. Okay. What you believe, right, as a a full-on maxi, right, you know, self-sovereignty, hold your keys, not your keys, not your coins, all that good stuff. Yes, that is not going to happen tomorrow. But did you really ever think it was going to? I mean, really? Did did you think we were gonna go from pure centralized to pure decentralized? Like that? There's, that was never gonna happen. There was always gonna be a CFI stage. No, it's not gonna be permanent. And because here's the thing. Yes. Boomers like, like me and my brethren and sistren, okay, they're going to buy the ETF, but then they don't own Bitcoin. Okay, fine. When they pass, which all of us will, you know, God willing, someday um, we'll all pass. And $37 trillion is going to y'all. $37 trillion, not all of it to you two, but, 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 you know, it's, it's going to, your generation have you going to for a second. And yeah. right yeah. 37 yeah. trillion. But 37, that's 37 trillion. And guess what's going to happen? Some percentage of it then is going to leave the ETF and get converted into self custody or 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 maybe maybe someone will come up with a way that you don't have to memorize your damn seed phrase and you don't have you know there are some things we could do as an industry. No, no, it was that way to the beginning. Come on. Come on. It doesn't have to be the same way as the first day, mm. right? And it I'm will happy. change. But but to make this out to be negative, I mean, I, I tweeted out the, the supply-demand, aggregate some aggregate demand-aggregate supply curve today, right? It's pretty simple. We got two things going. We got a demand shift. Any way you look at it, there's going to be more demand for spot Bitcoin. Unlike the futures, unlike, you know, anything... Increase in demand. So when the demand curve shifts, P1 is higher than P0. That's guaranteed. There's no debating it. Okay. That is absolutely guaranteed. Then we have a supply shock. (laughs) So we have a supply shock coming. So now the supply curve moves. Now P2 is higher than P1. And so I don't understand why any maxi who already owns their bag. Would be unhappy, I really don't understand
0: yeah
2: yep yeah. um my my thoughts are a hundred percent agree with everything you're you're saying, Martin, and, and you know econ one o one would suggest that you know we've got a lot of things that are up and coming still, uh, and we haven't even started trading yet, right um, <laughs> <laughs> one uh one thought that I had, Mike, is just like tying a lot of these things together, you know, the institutions have, have been coming since, uh, you know, 2013 when the Winkle Y uh, put out their first Bitcoin ETF proposal. Then we had, I think it was 2017, 2016 with the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance. Uh, and we've, you know, been, you know, just kind of chipping away at this institutional block of marble for, for the last 10 years, give or take. And I think the major difference now is that we finally have, to your point, an incentive model for how institutions can actually interact with these ecosystems. And, you know, the late, great Charlie Munger, show me the incentive, I'll show you the outcome. I I, I truly think that that's one of the most you know, apt business adages in history. Um, and we are now on the precipice of being able to say, OK, the, these players now know how to play in this market. And. It's maybe not going to be as an AP in one of these ETFs and it's not going to be, you know, as the custodian partner in one of these ETFs, but but maybe they're going to start to look to things that are further afield. And like we said, this is just the start. This isn't the end. And we're going to see more products come online. We're going to see more regulatory approvals come on. We're going to see more institutionalization. Um, and it's it's not, you know, the total disintermediation where all of these media companies with the advent of the Internet just go away. On one fell swoop, they're going to fight tooth and, and nail to be able to figure out how they can survive in this new world order, and probably participating with incentives is going to be that new world order for them. With you know the, these new decentralized technology platforms, um, we when we were raising, uh, I think it was our second fund, we we spent a bunch of time with BNY Mellon. We walked them through what it was like to take out a loan on Maker to you know borrow money on Aave. To do a swap on Uniswap, and you know, part of their minds were just like blown as we were just walking through. There's no counterparty. There's no, you know, this and that. All of us know this stuff, but the problem that we kept running into is there's no way for them as a registered bank to actually be able to make any of those transactions or do anything on chain. The, the maximum that they've been able to do is custody Bitcoin for clients, yep. and, and that's it. And I I see this as kind of a step in the direction of us getting from where we are right now with institutions, maybe being able to play in certain ways and more approvals, regulations, you know, positive trajectory there is going to get us to the point where, you know, they can actually be interacting on chain and DeFi. Such,
1: I mean, such an incredibly important point. I mean, I should make you say it again so everyone listens the second time because that is the key, right? Is Bitcoin, in and of itself, it's this amazing thing. But if if its only function is to sit on a ledger and bury it in the backyard, we can all just go home and go back to our old jobs because that we already got that. That's gold, and gold won't you know decay buried in the backyard like a ledger might. So that, in what this is all about, right? What this is all about. Is establishing the base layer of money, replacing gold as the base layer of money in every financial institution in the world, every central bank, every you know centralized organization and decentralized organization. But the migration from centralized to decentralized is not going to happen immediately. But every time we introduce new companies to facilitate new technology, that's what I love as, as a venture capitalist: is there are people building these solutions to help cross the chasm, right? Because if if you're a bank and you're saying, well, Jesus, I, I don't really like this, the fact that I'm not necessary now. Michael can lend money to Michael without me? That's not good for me. Okay, well, how do I get in the middle of this? Okay, maybe I can be a custodian. Maybe I can be a, a record keeper. Maybe, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be functions. Um, and at least in the short term, there's going to be some role for fiat. Believe it or not, I know you guys understand uh, this, but they have and sure. it's kind of like energy. Right? There's this whole thing about, "Oh, we got to go electrification of everything." Okay. When? Like 30 years? 50 years? you know, 100 years? It's going to be at least 30, probably 50, maybe 100 before we don't use oil and gas. Think about it. I mean, here's the crazy thing. We've burned more coal today than in 1900. Before electricity and all all the stuff that was going to replace coal, but we still burn coal and we shouldn't burn coal because it releases all kinds of bad stuff, but we should burn natural gas instead. Um, But I just, I just find so much of this incredibly compelling when you just, don't expect it to happen overnight. And I'll I'll say the thing I I don't like about what just happened in the past week, this race to the bottom on fees, bad decision. That was a
0: very bad decision. Why? Um, I feel like that's a win for consumers, don't you think? Getting- Nope, nope,
1: nope. Because these people won't have the resources to invest in the technology Mm -hmm. to make the UI, UX palatable Mm -hmm. for their people. See, here's the thing. It took 80 years for mutual funds to go from 100 basis points down to 30 or 40 basis points. It took 20 years for ETFs to go from you know, 60, 80 basis points down to you know, 2, 3, 4 basis points. Free isn't the right price. I, I get in this argument with Jack Muller's all the time, right? I can take my strike app and I can send money around the world. For free, freeze the wrong number. You need to make some money so that you can invest in the technology and scale, and don't have outages and don't have. So anyway, I I just
2: let, let, let me ask this: Do you do you think that there's an indirect business model? Um, you know, in, in so many of these, you know, ETFs, nice. maybe not with Bitcoin uh, per se yet, but you know, the ability to lend it, the ability, I mean, obviously we won't have staking, you know, if you have the ability to stake an asset eventually in an ETF, maybe there's an indirect model. Yeah. Um, But do you think that that's a viable option?
1: 100%. No, no, look, that is the issue, right? I mean, if you think about Robinhood, how does Robinhood make money if they don't charge commissions? Oh, they sell your order flow. Okay. Or they lend your securities, both of which have issues. And if you've watched the movie, dumb money, which I'm all over telling everybody, watch the movie, dumb money. It was so amazing. I mean, so good, but think about that. I mean, your, to your point, Munger's point about incentives. If I don't make any fees, then I'm incented to lend out the securities or rehypothecate. This is what Caitlin is all over, right? They're going to be forced to rehypothecate and forced to, to do all the things that we don't want them to do. So look, I, I get why they're trying to do it. You know, we've we've lived in the world the last 10 years where it's grow, 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 give your product away and then figure out how to monetize.
0: Well, that works if you're a monopoly.
1: This is not a monopoly.
0: Can I can I poke at that? Um because sure. sure. honestly, like let me try to paint that in a more positive light because honestly, you, I remember when I was first getting into this industry and people were talking about the ETF back then. There was a large contingency of people that I, I don't see this viewpoint expressed anywhere anymore, which is just like this is kind of pointless. Like the whole point of Bitcoin is that it's extremely fungible, very easy to send yes. around the world, yep. easy to custody. In a sense, I feel like we have, and people used to make this argument that actually the whole point of an exchange, an ETF, an exchange traded fund, is that it's an advantageous structure and wrapper compared to trading baskets of uh, stocks. Right, so that makes a whole lot of sense. I think if we were to really look at this from first principles, it actually doesn't make a lot of sense to try to jam Bitcoin into an ETF. If anything, you've just put more permissions around it. And I would actually say they that I these issuers are charging exactly what they the value that they create, which is approximately zero in the long term. Like they're they're uh, not, but it's not like, zero. No, 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 it's not. Why? Here, here's why it's not on a long time horizon. No, they are just the wrapping NTV? Bitcoin. In the TradFi L1, and it's a shittier version. So I know it's I know, ultimately it is, not, you know I,
1: I, know. I agree with you if everybody were perfect. If there were no lost seed phrases, if there were no misplaced ledgers, mm-hmm. if there were no stolen passwords, what is the NPV of the amount that will be lost, stolen, obliterated? I agree. If with that. people who I are not sophisticated. Agree try to use sophisticated technology. It's, it's, it's not zero. It's not zero. And so I don't disagree with you that in, in first principles, you're 100% right. And the maxis are 100% right. I'm, I'm agreeing violently with the first principles, but we're not there. And the people who own the assets ain't there. <laughs> those 65 to 85 year old people I'm with are you. not I, capable. And I'm not, I mean, I'm coming up on being one of those, but and that's not a criticism of them. It hasn't been it hasn't been necessary to be competent in that. And it it's I don't know, it, I always use this as an example, right? I don't know
0: how this works by the chat. This, I don't know if you guys are watching this, what these people are saying and no. making me laugh. I appreciate you all for, for really listening to, to us here. Um, I And Mark, I actually, I'm going to take back what I just, I completely agree with you. And, and I meant in the, in the really long term, obviously, they're creating an enormous amount of value right now. And this is super significant. And I like maybe to, to focus us a little bit on like this coming year. So we've got the ETF, which is this catalyst that we've all been waiting and talking about quite a bit. Actually, not that the price is, you know, super important and this could change, but it has started to move. We're at forty-seven five uh or just under currently. So starting to catch a nice little bounce. We are also going into this, Mark. You were indirectly alluding to this, I think the supply shock of the halving, right? Yep. And we're getting at our at our back this tailwind, which is the Fed is starting to talk about rate cuts. Um, and that's become starting to become much more consensus too. And you know. I'm just kind of looking out at this year, being like, we got we got some tailwinds. We got some tailwinds, baby. And the last thing that I'll say is we I haven't felt any degree of FOMO. I, we've been talking about this for months. I've talked about this with both of you guys. Like, I feel like I have started to check the charts again. Like I've started to feel the first beginnings of euphoria FOMO, but none of my normie, I haven't gotten one text. I haven't got one oh, nor me friend. I think I
2: said this on bell curve. I said, if you were to go and pull my friends, I, I live in San Francisco, Mark. And, and if you were to pull my friends, seven out of ten of them would have no idea whether or not Bitcoin was at 10K or at 100 k right now. Yeah. Guaranteed. Like, and that's ama- and that's
1: amazing. And but I I I you know, I was there for the holidays. My son and daughter-in-law live up in Richmond. And I agree with you. Right. There was nobody talking about the ETF. They were talking about the Warriors and how bad they are, which they're they're bad. I mean, I was surprised how bad they were. Maybe Draymond will help when he comes back. But um, I totally agree with that. And and to as far as the the tailwinds go, the tailwinds are about to get big. I mean, I'm doing my 10 surprises thing tomorrow that I do every year. And and one of them is – I'm doing uh, Rolling Stones songs this year for my 10 surprises. And one of them is Start Me Up. So Money Printer is going to get started up. And, and it's going to be big, like big, big. I mean, here's a stat that you won't believe. 30% of bank equity is unrealized losses on treasuries. That's 30% of bank equity, which – does that mean the whole banking industry is insolvent? Well, yes, that's what it means. And and Caitlin would tell you that it's been that way since day one. And it's been that way for 838 years. But no, because the Fed opened up the temporary, I love that part, temporary lending facility. And so that skyrocketed. And, but the money printer is going to start going burr. That's, that's big. the, um, the risks of, of recession, you know, a year ago, almost a hundred percent of economists said we were going to have recession. And we didn't this year. Almost nobody's talking about recession. Everything is soft landing. Everything is, it's all good. And yet I have That's this whole series me. of, of, I love that, charts that it, there's some ugliness out there. Like, when you, you know, we we did the, the show last week, right during the NF, the non farm payroll, and it was the headline beat until you looked into it. And actually, in December, we lost 700,000 household jobs. And that's a gigantic number.
0: Yep. Mark, you sent me some great tweets about this, but. Um... Let me see if, I can, I'll see if I can find it. But uh, Eric Basmajian put out a great... There was, a, there was the non-farm payrolls and then there was like the household survey. Household and, survey. Yep. That's what yeah, I'm talking wild, about. Wildly distinct, wildly distinct numbers. And yeah. I, I've given him a couple of shout outs recently, but Joseph Wang, I think, has done one of the best jobs in covering this, had a really detailed analysis of the slowing labor market and actually talked about that being more of a driver in in rate cuts than, than almost anything else this coming year. So,
1: Although, so what is... Just the last thing on that. You know what the difference between the Fed governors is on year-end rates in the dot plot for 2025? So Mm -hmm. we're talking two years, so this year and next year. What do you think the highest Fed governor is saying rates are going to be and the lowest?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I think next year it was supposed to be down, what, like 50 basis points for the highest? And lowest was like two and a half, maybe three and a half, something along those
1: lines. Yeah. So three, is, def, is that three and a half? 2.375 three nine, five yeah. was the low guy in 2025. But the high guy or gal, I guess it could have been a gal. Um, when I say guy, I mean guy or gal. Um, that was inclusive? In yes. 5.375. Man, That's same. 300 basis. And they're on the same committee. <laughs> Looking at the same data and one is saying we need to cut to emergency levels within 24 months and, and the, uh, the futures are pricing in 5.5 cuts this year.
2: I mean, yeah. Wow. doesn't make much sense. The, uh, somebody said it, I, I, I can't remember it may have been Jim Bianco said that, um, Outside of January, that would mean it cut every single meeting in 2024. Yep, And it just doesn't feel like we're quite at that point yet. So maybe the market is expecting something that, once again, is going to be proved to be slightly different. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Let
0: let me ask you guys this. So, uh, again, I'm cheating a little bit and referring to this uh, interview that we just did with. But Eric Balkunas and James Seyford of Bloomberg have been probably the... Two most sober analysis uh, or analysts. That have the been party that's it. going
2: on at, at one of their houses tonight. Must
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. I hope that's we don't the lose outcome. them. I hope they like stick around now. You know, they've been a nice addition to the uh, to the. Hey, we've yeah, got news coming up in the Yeah, but yeah. Exactly. forget
1: Balcunas has been tweeting about this literally for 10 years. I mean, he <laughs> tweeted about the Wink,
0: Winklevoss application 10 years ago. He's got one of my all-time favorite, uh, I'll plug this episode that he did on Invest Like the Best probably four or five years ago. It was a really in-depth, still to this day, if you want to understand the guts of how an ETF works, go listen to this interview. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal overview of it. But uh, to skip ahead to give away some alpha in that interview, I asked him like, what was, what is your, you know, he he did a great job of outlining there's a distinction in between flows and AUM, right? And one of the big differences in between flows and AUM is the performance of the underlying asset. And I didn't ask him to actually break out how he got there, but his prediction end of year was 50 billion in AUM. And so I was sitting there listening to that being like, I bet my forecast for what Bitcoin does is more aggressive than yours. So in my head, I was kind of like reverse engineering. I mean, there is a very realistic world where we end up with a collective 100 billion plus, maybe by end of year or certainly by, I don't want to say certainly but uh, very realistically by 2025. I mean, these well, are very large that, numbers. <laughs> that's 50
2: that? billion of flows and 100% price appreciation.
0: So
1: And that's the important part, which again, what people just are not paying attention to. This is an asset that for the last year has traded about $8 billion a day. It just traded twenty three billion in the last twenty four hours, so that's three times. Now let's triple that again because we haven't even started trading yet.
2: Why not? So, so let's triple uh, and, that again. And let's start putting out eleven different companies with their own marketing campaigns. Some of the largest yes. financial institutions in the entire world getting bombarded at every single airport with the wallpaper that you're going to see walking down the terminals every single NFL game that's about to be starting with the playoffs, every single, like every single place you're going to look, there's going to be some ad for Bitcoin. And you've seen a little bit of that with like GBT. I've seen a couple of Grayscale GBTC things yeah. and, you know, here and there. And obviously you've had the Coinbase and, and the FTX, you know, previous commercials, but nothing as, as, as voracious as this, I think.
1: I uh, voracious is such a good word because it, it is not only is, is the uh, voraciousness of the advertising going to be unbelievable? But the voraciousness of the of the buyers. And and again, I I, I searched on the comments, but man, they're coming in fast and furious. So uh, if, if they don't like this, you know, they, they, can, they can crucify me there, but I won't look at them. So um, the boomers. Right. And I speak for the boomers as 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 a boomer. They're going to buy because they don't control their assets. Right. This is the part that people aren't aren't really paying attention to. It's not your uncle and your grandpa. It's the financial advisor. Now, many of them are boomers, but not all of them. There are some young financial advisors, some actually really good ones on crypto Twitter, but but those financial advisors, the the boomers who have built multi-billion dollar books in some cases. Like I have this, this duo, these two guys that I, I've worked with for years, they have close to $30 billion in assets between the two of them. That's two two financial advisors. And if they say, yep, 1%, that's a lot of money. And that is just coming. And so, and that's the difference. You know, it was like, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news. This is just like, when you go know, and Bito got approved, it is nothing like when Bito got approved. Not not anything, because you can create a futures contract out of thin air. You you need no underlying asset as long as we promise to settle up before. I don't have to go get the asset, and that's why commodities historically get manipulated when there's an excess of paper, whether it's paper barrels of oil or paper gold or paper Bitcoin, and that's. I will argue what triggered the down drop. Now uh, it was the normal cyclical drawdown in twenty one, but but it was exacerbated by by Bitto. and this is different. Every time, even though they're cash created, and people don't understand how you create a ETF, you know, uh, uh, share, but even though they're cash created, the underlying has to go get Bitcoin, and they got to go find Bitcoin to get. Now, clearly, Uncle Larry and a few others have been acquiring a few in these big accounts. And there's this CC15. Is it CC15? Uh, there's this great, there's this great, I can't remember his name. I think, it's, I think it's CC15. He's been following these dozen or so wallets, basically buying 100 billion a week, 200 billion a week for the last couple of weeks. I think those are clearly owned by entities related to these because they needed to ensure that there was supply that they could get to. Because if, if BlackRock has $2 billion that has to get filled, they ain't buying that in the spot market.
2: Actually, well, so so actually, one of the things that I heard – I think it was James talk about or, or maybe it was Eric – was there's a huge difference between something that is seeding the fund versus flows into the fund yeah and from a performance perspective everybody gets benchmarked against the flows into the fund and so while there may be you know idle capital that's sitting by i know um, uh, 200 million was set aside for or seeded in the in the bid wise um there was a i think a 10 million uh, that was in the in the BlackRock. BlackRock. I, I would imagine the two billion maybe is not coming in on day one, week one. Who knows how long it will take? No, no, no that's I, I, that's a really good loves. point. I I think that
1: was that was absolutely not the seed. Usually, you seed an ETF with hundred k, two hundred k, sometimes a million yeah. bucks. Ten million was actually a huge seed. The two hundred million that Bitwise announced, I mean, that that blows your mind because you don't need. To seed with that much, I mean, you could literally concede with with a few hundred k. So that two billion is definitely not day one. That is flows, but they, I believe, they needed to have access to Bitcoin because they you know, part of the problem is there just aren't that many coins that are available. Now, one curious thing that could happen is if I were BlackRock and I knew that there were 620,000 Bitcoin sitting in this trust in Cayman, I might actually acquire that. So I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised. And that might be the reason that, that uh, GBTC didn't lower their fee like everybody else. Because they're like, I'll just take whatever fee I can get while I can get it. And then I'm going to have to sell to, to BlackRock anyway.
0: Uh one note on that fee, the, the one point because I think that ever that surprised everyone. One 150 yeah. basis points. I mean, that was just so out of line. But if you think about it, first of all, who knows what relation like um you know what constraints uh Barry has and DCG and Grayscale have on, you know, there's a lot of contingencies there, but the, simple, so the simple arithmetic, and if you listen to James and Eric, they'll talk about this, you know, the simple arithmetic is First, they were charging 2%, you know, 200 basis points before. So they're about to get a, at least, you know, 90% uh, haircut to their, to their revenue here, depending on where they or 80 to 90% or whatever, depending on where they end up. And it actually might make sense for them to just say the math sort of works better if they keep the fees high and just say, okay, we're willing to surrender half of our AUM even. But they won't. That's the thing that that,
1: that, they definitely did this math. Mm. If you're in a taxable account, you're not selling that's
0: exactly. I, that's probably what it is.
1: Because yeah. all of that money came in between 10 and 30. The vast majority of GBTC came in in that bubble from 10 to, to 60, but most of the money it's just came in from
2: it's just 10 not worth to 30. It.
1: If you're in a tax-exempt account, an IRA or something, that's gone, right? That'll leave tomorrow um, yeah. because there's no tax. But, but I think that's a small percentage and the taxable stuff, you're not going to move and pay Uncle Sam to save one percent. You're just not.
2: The the other interesting theory that I, I think James purported was, um, and they've seen this before with a few other um, GLD is a good example where mm-hmm. that is actually a pretty expensive product relative to where the rest of the gold ETFs are trading. It's highly possible that grayscale goes out and creates a lower expense ratio product that would be sort of the sidecar to the GBTC product. Uh, and I think they also own BTC ticker. And so maybe they have GBTC and BTC is the two different tickers and the people who are stuck because of taxes, they're going to keep in the high fee you know, fund, but then other new entrants are going to come in and, and maybe they're going to undercut everyone. And maybe, yeah. maybe once again, you know, that becomes the indirect business model for Grayscale. If you have a 10, 15, 20 bit uh, fund, it's pretty attractive.
1: Yeah, no, it, it is. It's a great point. And look, <laughs> without, those revenues, they would be in a world of hurt, like serious world of hurt because they've got lawsuit problems and all kinds of stuff, but they, they need those revenues. And, you know, Barry's already, he said, you can pry it from my cold dead hands. He's not, he's not selling. I don't know. I we'll You know,
0: see. it's, I, I had this thought at one point, like two years ago, in like 2021 during the height of it, I was just like, these people look in, I mean, you know, cause at that time in 2021, your mind frame is like, this stuff's going to keep going up forever and yada, yada. And I remember looking around at these people that had like $5 billion. I was like, so is this guy, is, is this, you know, these people are all just going to have like $30 billion. This, this just can't make, this just can't, yeah. can't front. Um, And he, but to, to, to your point, like he just built this amazing asset in the form of, of grayscale and GBTC. And look at how sticky that AUM has been. And what a fee driving machine that has been. So, you know, Props, props to them.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and the, they, you know, a year ago, we talked about this on the show a year ago, they needed number go up and number went up, right? It went up more than hundred percent. And it, if it hadn't done that, true. if it hadn't done that, they would have been done in May of last year. They would have been out. Yeah. They wouldn't have been able to pay the debt. They, and, and the other thing that didn't happen, and again, this, we could go down this whole rabbit hole if we want to, but they, were at risk for a clawback of two bills into FTX. But because Solana and all this stuff is pumped, the trustee hasn't gone after the, the clawback. Now the history of those clawbacks isn't really big so we, we wouldn't really know if they could get away with it, but um, that, was, that was a big risk because there, there there, was precedent to say anyone who took money out within 90 days were clawing it back, and it was you know within that 90-day window. But mm-hmm. had that happened, it would have been game over.
2: That's what Celsius just said to creditors. Uh, you know, Within over 100K, within the last 90 days that Celsius was around, you have to give the money back. You know, so <sighs> it's interesting. FTX is different.
1: Yeah. Right. Look. <laughs> FTX is amazing. I mean, the amount of money that's going out to the lawyer and the consultant and, and yeah. the, the pump that's going on in FTT.
0: I mean. Did you guys I, know that there was an FTT ETF? Yeah. You know what? Today I learned that. Um, that's that's right. I'm, I'm sure, sure I knew I it, it at one point, but I was reminded that today there was a. I forgot about that. And in fact, yeah. I think I own a little piece of
1: the company that has that.
0: Um, there you go. About that. Um, yeah. There, I actually love the, I'd like to Anyway. But so I, maybe in closing here, I, I'd love to get your guys updated sort of, I, I think there are kind of two ways to bucket market catalysts, which is the one, the one type of catalyst that kind of adds fuel to the fire and one that could potentially completely turn around a market. Um, I don't really know where to bucket the ETF because it's obviously a massive deal, both in terms of what it means historically. Well, uh, one thing that we didn't really talk about as well is I think it this removes the discount factor that you might have had to apply on a, regu- a big regulatory crackdown, i.e. making Bitcoin illegal, right? Like if you were thinking about, I have to make the case for owning Bitcoin, there are these pros and cons, you know, one of these sort of far out cons, but I mean, it has happened in the history of the United States is to make owning an asset illegal. And you should have probably been applying some kind of discount rate to that. I'd have to imagine that discount rate yeah, goes
1: Okay, but I don't, I don't want to go too far Sinister Saturday, but it's only Wednesday. Um, this approval makes the potential likelihood. I'm not saying the likelihood, but the potential likelihood higher, not lower.
0: That's because it's easier. It's custodied with the big guys. Like because,
1: no, because the logical next step in the, look, we're in the then they fight you phase. And everybody's like, oh, we won. No, 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 <laughs> We won this battle, but the war ain't over. The then they fight right. you phase is going to go on for a few years. The thing that, that Ms. Warren would like is to ban self-custody. Right. And basically say, mm-hmm. if, if we don't own it for you, then it's bad. And therefore, if you self-custody, you are a criminal. That, that could get passed. I mean, that's been written in bills, and that so that, that so that's, that's that's the first thing. I'm I'm not worried about it, but I I think about it. The second thing is, um, Max Kaiser has you know said you guys don't understand. This is just a ploy to confiscate it. You know, if you look at the prospectus, they're allowed to confiscate. He's right. He, he's technically right, but here's why he's not right. Just like the 51% attack, I think might be the greatest programming feat in all of programming history. It's a big statement. Why? Because the moment you do a 51% attack, you spend $100 billion to to do it, the price goes to zero and everything you just stole is worthless. So it'll never happen. There's no incentive to do a 51% attack because you would destroy the asset. That is genius. So whoever thought of that, Kudos. So that's the first thing. So the same thing is true here. If you think about the Satoshi quote, yes, there will be lost and stolen Bitcoin, but he said, think of it as a contribution to the community because the value of the rest goes up. So let's just do the math. Let's go crazy. Let's say that the boomers buy into this boomer wrapper, this ETF, and 20%. Gets 20% of all the Bitcoin in the world. It's not an unreasonable number. Let's do that math, right? 300 billion comes in, okay? Price doubles. That's 2.4 trillion, okay? They got 600. That's 25%. So they get 25% of all, that's 25%, not 20, 25%. So 25%. Okay. Government confiscates it. What just happened? The value of seventy-five percent just went up, and those people got more powerful. As long as there is one bitcoin in the hands of somebody else, you can satoshize it, right? You can divide it, and the and the and it's the network. And this is the difference: the coins they're important, but the network is what's valuable. And that's what's missing here: is they confiscate all they want, but they'll just make it stronger. So I think Max is wrong on that.
2: Hmm. It's an Those are really point. good points. Yeah, I'd say the, huh. the the big thing in my mind is this is actually probably the start of the positive trajectory, and I know it's an election year. We'll we'll see what happens with you know what's going on in November. Um, this is the start of the positive trajectory um, in the public's eye, or in the you know electorate's eye, and the lobbyist's eye, and in the donors' eyes of where we want the u.s to shape up in 2025 and beyond and i think we're going to start to see a lot of positive movement on the regulatory front because everything we've been talking about we now have financial institutions like blackrock with the financial incentive to be able to support this promote this market it um and i think we're going to start to see a lot more of that i don't know if we're actually going to get anything passed in 2020 2024 it might take another Uh, another Congress, another group of people to be able to get that stuff done. But I think this is the start of that. And so for that, I'm, I'm once again, we're at the start, not the end, but for that reason, I'm incredibly bullish.
1: Great point.
0: Yeah, I've got nothing. I've got nothing but to agree with that. I think it's um, it's been a trying few last few years as these bear markets always are, but I think the industry has emerged stronger um, with more, I feel like I've said this a lot recently, but with more reason to be optimistic than I
1: know. Yeah, here's the thing. I said I tweeted this the other day. So someone asked me in, in my Twitter stream, how bullish are you? And I actually said I, I had to stop. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I don't I actually don't feel any different than I did in 2013. Mm. Until, in th- 2013, I was an idiot, right? It was handed on a silver platter, and I was like, Oh, I don't really understand this. I kind of get the technology and I did some work and it took me a while to to kind of get there. But I don't feel any different. So I'm an eleven out of ten. Bullish. Because <laughs> this is big. Always on, baby. No, no days off. This is this is huge. This is an acknowledgement that, yes, you know, all the people say this is just a speculative asset yeah it is. it's like any other asset it can be speculated on. great. And that's just the opposite side of a hedger. But what this says, right again, and we didn't need this validation, but but it is a validation of the technology. And the the idea that we're increasingly going to have people hold the capital T, capital H, capital E solution. To money, that's gig- it's ginormous. I mean, it's ginormous. And so, if you if you can't be just monstrously bullish, like like crazy bullish, like euphorically bullish, they're just not paying attention. And that doesn't mean you know you put all your money in, but you got to have more than zero. And you got to put. And you know, the younger you are, the more you should have. But but it, it's just. I don't know. This this is this is a time for celebration. It's a time for acknowledgement. It's a time to say thank you to Jameson Lop today. I mean, I, you know, the cyberpunk cypherpunks that that started this and worked for free and built this out of nothing. And there are a lot of other people, Adam Back and and others. Thank you. And to all the miners, the guys and the gals out there installing the machines. And you know, I saw a guy who sliced his finger off, literally sliced his finger off installing, you know, the, the metal racks and, all, and he's still out there. He's got his hand bandaged up and he's still installing the machines. Like, thank you. And to all of the people who have endured all the cyclical downturns and, and the people who turn into these shows and write in comments, thank you. Cause this community is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. It's not just gonna be us talking to ourselves. We're now talking to everybody and people actually listen and they won't just say, Oh, that's stupid. They'll actually say, Oh, it's a really cool idea. I get it. I get it now. The light bulb went on. So, I don't know. It's, it's a good time to be alive, right?
0: It's a good great time to be alive. Yeah. All right. Well, cheers, guys. Uh, cheers to many more bullish shows in 2024. Appreciate you guys doing Amen. this. All right, guys. Thank you. Great Have day. a good one. Great day. Be
1: well, everybody. Happy Bitcoin Approval Day.